BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is David Tainter. We made it. We are at the end of the week, the end of the Democratic Convention. Uh, I'm joined by Kate Riga and Summer Concepcion. How are you guys holding up? Pretty good. Excited for the weekend. <laughs> yep. Yeah, before more madness ensues during next week's RNC. <laughs> That's right. And making her podcast debut, Zoe Richards, a news writer in our New York office. Thanks for joining, Zoe. Hey, yeah, thank you. So we had the the culmination of the week last night with uh, Joe Biden formally accepting the nomination and delivering uh, the closing speech of the event. Other highlights included uh, a 13-year-old boy from New Hampshire who met Biden on the campaign trail and suffers from a stutter, you know, similar to the vice president and said that, you know, talking with Biden and getting to know him helped helped him overcome his stutter and kind of think differently about himself. We had a number of uh, senators, Tammy Duckworth, senator from Illinois, gave a pretty fiery speech against Trump. Uh, We had Chris Coons, uh, senator from Delaware, who holds Biden's old seat, talk about Biden's faith and the importance of faith. you know, to Biden. And we had Tammy Duckworth, I'm sorry, not Tammy Duckworth, Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin. We had uh, both, who am right? I miss- all the Tammies in the house. All the Tammies, exactly. <laughs> who am I missing? Any other, any other highlights that uh, I didn't, I didn't quite address? I guess we had, um, we had the biting grandchildren do that little segment. That was cute. Right. That's right. We also had, you reminded me, yeah, a few, a few nice video packages, a tribute mm-hmm. to John Lewis We had a tribute to Bo Biden, uh, Joe's late son, who died of brain cancer a few years ago. Kate, uh, what were some of your kind of big impressions from the last night? You've been up late every night of this (laughs) week, uh, (laughs) covering covering from start to finish. So what kind of stood out to you on the last night? Well, one of the most interesting things is I saw a tweet from Franklin Graham, you know, of the the televangelist family Grahams saying that, you know, he was struck by the absence of God in the DNC or something. And, you know, I'm not taking that as a good faith attack, but something I was actually really struck by was the presence of faith in the last night of the DNC. Um, You know, you had the sister Simone Campbell give the invocation. Um, that clip of Biden saying that faith is always strongest in the dark, which was kind of a moment of resuscitation for his flailing campaign at that point, because that was before we'd gotten into the Southern Circuit and back when people were kind of, you know, counting him out. So I thought that was a real through line of the whole night last night, Um, even in the packages about Bo and a lot of the moments that were about how he's, uh, his resilience in the face of loss, you know, the underlying theme of all of that is, is because he's a faithful person that's allowed him to kind of rebound and as he puts it find um you know find purpose in the grief and then i really think that came to a head in his speech last night which was really replete with you know very catholic imagery a lot of use of light versus darkness um and he kind of framed this election as not just you know me versus trump but really as this kind of grand cosmic you know battle for the soul of the nation, as he puts it, the forces of love versus the forces of hate. So um, I found it to be very 
compelling. And I thought kind of using this very grandiose imagery ended it on a note of not just, you know, you have you should vote because you like Joe Biden, but you should vote if you don't want, you know, from his framing, America subsumed into the forces of hatred and darkness and division. Right. Zoe, what jumped out uh, to you on the, the final night of the DNC? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, the conversation about race, I thought he did really gracefully, um, especially, you know, just citing that night in Charlottesville um, in 2017 as kind of like the turning point for him um, and kind of like the realization that he had to run for president again. Um, and even just that he went like beyond, you know, kind of what we typically hear where people say like, oh, yeah, well, I want to like challenge my ideas about race. He like went a step further and said like, oh, are we going to be the generation, you know, that like wipes out the stain of like racism that has like been so kind of like fundamental to um, building this country? Um, I thought that was like really a, a tall order, you know, that he kind of called out to. And um, I think probably really resonated with a lot of younger people especially young progressives who have felt that he's been a little bit, you know, more on the moderate side or like not making any kind of like wide sweeping um, calls for change. Um, so I thought that was like really a pretty noble step for him to, you know, come out and say yeah. that. Yeah. And Summer, you had kind of taken a look last night at the whole week of events and this theme of voting in the middle of a pandemic and voting amid, you know, the Trump administration's efforts to hamstring the Postal Service. Tell us kind of about some of those themes and some of the notable comments from the week on that subject. Yeah, Uh, well, the very first night of the DNC, I think the hardest hitting uh, person on that front was hands down Michelle Obama, given that she really eloquently was able to urge voters that this, the U, the U.S. Postal Service is facing a crisis. This is not the time to take it lightly. Um, get out your vote early, uh, as soon as you can, mail it in as soon as you can. Um, and I think that message just really continued throughout the rest of the week, even President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, and even last night, the California Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, urged that. Um, These are, especially I would say Padilla has been outspoken in particular. This was back in May when he criticized Trump for already, that was one of the early signs that Trump was about to rage his crusade against mail-in voting ahead of the election. And I think last night was just, it was more of like hammering into that message that don't take this lightly. Don't take this U.S. Postal Service crisis lightly. And I I just remembered even Kamala Harris, she, I think it was, yeah, it was Wednesday, she made a surprise early appearance in the DNC. Um, and the first thing that she did was urge voters to register to vote and also cast their vote early. So I think, yeah, that was just, that was definitely a recurring theme throughout this year's DNC. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's cap things off with one last highs and lows. We can go around and share some of our takeaways from the night. Kate, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I think... I kind of, this is cheating, I have two highs, but one of my high, I think, 
some of you may have as well, but yeah, when the, the little boy with the stutter gave his speech, I thought it was, it was really interesting to me because kind of after that uh, emerged in the campaign, you know, I think, was it Sarah Sanders who made fun of it or something that kind of like brought it? Uh, yeah, I think she tweeted and that kind of made it this big thing. And then um, Biden did that interview with the reporter who also has the stutter. And that was the first I'd kind of read about it in a long form way. Um, and, you know, something that was emerging from people who, you know, have a stutter or like know more about this is that the idea of putting someone with a stutter on national TV is still, you know, unfortunately is like quite revolutionary. Um, so the fact that I think this little boy, you know, it was so heartwarming to see that he had connected with Biden in this way and that Biden had given him, given him this actionable advice, you know, that uh, here's what I do kind of thing. That's such an intimate connection on its own. And then that overlaid with the fact that he was just given, you know, minutes to speak, minutes to, to deliver his message. Um, you know, I think that really struck a chord. Um, and then my other high was I was just really, really blown away by Biden's speech at the end of the night. And I think he's not known as being a particularly great orator. I wouldn't say that's, you know, in his, um, he's no Obama in that way. But I thought in, you know, in this way, the virtual convention format really helped him because it made it much more emotional, very direct. You felt, and the, the point at his speech where he pivoted to talking to people who had lost loved ones to COVID, really just hit harder because he was kind of looking right into the camera, looking right at you as someone who's lost children and a wife. Um, so I thought that that was a moment where, you know, pressure was on for him to deliver a, perf a good performance. And he turned in, I think, probably the best speech I've ever heard him give. Anything that didn't quite uh, capture mm. your imagination in that, in that way? Yeah, I'm trying to think... I don't really remember having issues with anything. I don't know. A theme throughout the DNC is like, I haven't loved the live shots. I think they just kind of add to your secondhand stress of, oh my God, is something going to happen? And like the only times we've had technological stutters is when they go to that live shot and the person's like, hi, good evening. And then, hi, good evening again. But um, yeah, I think in that way, they're trying to avoid the whole criticism of being like a, a prepackaged feel good commercial. But you know, nobody believes that any of this is spontaneous. So I would just get rid of those, pre-film them, put them in the docket, have it be totally smooth. Right, right. All right, Zoe, what about you? Yeah, well, I think you guys already know this, but I loved Tammy Duckworth um, calling Trump the coward in chief. I thought she was just like completely candid. I liked how there was like no kind of like pretext to what she was saying, pretense to what she was saying. And um yeah, I mean, I loved how she brought up the Russian bounty stuff, you know, like that was something that I felt like I hadn't really heard much of um, previously, like in other speeches, but I thought it was good that she was just so targeted kind of in her um, calling out Trump for his cowardice and then saying that, you know, by contrast, Biden would be someone who's courageous, you know, thinking of like all the things that he's been through in his life with his son, you know, like as you mentioned with the stutter with uh, Braden and all that. I thought that was really kind of like beautifully done. And then also just like, you know, knowing her history as like a, a veteran who like lost both of her legs, you know, it's like, you kind of feel like she's like no better person, right? That, um, to speak to that. Um, and then low light, I guess, 
maybe this is like an unpopular opinion, but I didn't really like like Steph Curry and his kids. I kind of felt like it was a missed opportunity, I guess. Um, because they are like, you know, young women of color. Obviously, like Kamala Harris represents the first, um, you know, black and South Asian woman um, to be represented on a major party's ticket. And I just kind of thought they could have been a little more, maybe they should have like been a little more prepared to speak to that. And then also like, obviously all the ways that Trump has like gone in on, um, you know, professional athletes, you know, not standing for the, um, the anthem and all of that. Like he could have also kind of, made a few jabs there that I felt like um, he didn't do. But I mean, it's understandable. They're young kids. Um, it's kind of hard to accomplish in sh- such a short time. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Summer, how about you? Yeah, so I would say that there's two things that stuck out to me. And when I say two things, I mean two themes overall. Um, one, The first one being Biden's speech, which I definitely agree with Kate, is probably the best that I've heard from him. Um, And it really touches on the recurring theme throughout this year's DNC that Biden has faced a lot of loss. He's, he, he's unfortunately familiar with loss and, but that, with that, that being said, it's he, he, that's his argument for being able to meet the challenges that we're all facing in the COVID-19 pandemic. And that range from, even his nod to John Lewis, where he was saying that we can help, voters can help his legacy live on by making sure that they cast their vote, making sure that they vote as early as possible, make sure, making sure that they don't take this U.S. Postal Service crisis lightly. And Kate touched on this a few minutes ago, too, but also just the, the religious imagery behind dark and light. I thought that I I did think throughout last night's uh, last night that yeah Biden really made it a point to point out that he is a faithful man. So that was one thing and then I would have to say the second thing is that I thought that last night there was a good range of appeal from young to old. I mean from the kids that were featured whether it was his family, his grandchildren, his kids and the child that he met who who just adorably even though he was he was doing his very best even though he deals with stuttering and obviously Biden can speak to that from personal experience so that really got me and then there was also just the appeal to older generations as well especially when with Tammy Duckworth's speech and speaking about the importance of the U.S. Postal Service, yeah, in order for older generations to receive their prescriptions, but also Social Security checks. So I thought that last night covered a good age range. Um, So those were my highs or key takeaways, I would say. Um, In terms of lows, I guess... I don't necessarily have a criticism towards her, but Tammy Baldwin just somehow the speech did not land or I don't know, it didn't grab my attention enough that I, it just flew over my head. And I don't know if that's because I was just covering something else at the time, but something about it just did not stick with me. Right. 
Yeah, I would just to close things out. I guess my highlight would probably be Braden, the the boy from New Hampshire who was struggling with this stutter. I think it was an unexpected moment. It wasn't on the official, I guess, kind of schedule of highlights for the evening. So it was a bit of a surprise or kind of an yeah an unexpected, heartfelt moment. Um, I'm surprised this hasn't come up yet, but I think the low light has to be Mike Bloomberg appearing at the DNC after pledging to spend all of his money to help, you know, elect Democrats during this campaign. And like, where has he been? He's like gone from from the the spotlight, the public uh, consciousness, all of that. And yet he still had, you know, he got a decent amount of speaking time. He got these profile shots, um, you know, straight to the camera shots. But I guess the flip side of that is that it did trigger Donald Trump to tweet at mini Mike and, and cause a stir. And so it's possible that was just the intent, right? To kind of uh, <laughs> Maybe the Bloomberg Trump. constituency is just solely Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. Any final thoughts before we before we wrap it up for the first week? I mean, I have to say this was a, you know, a once in a lifetime pandemic convention. And, you know, for all our criticisms, it was pulled off pretty well. And the biggest thing I'm waiting for the RNC is they were still insisting about having this in person until, what, like two weeks ago. So we'll see what kind of technological feat they've been able to pull off in that amount of yeah. time. Yeah, it's definitely different. You know, we in a in a pre-COVID world, we would all be in the office, probably eating too much pizza, but being able to kind of have the camaraderie and the, you know, just the, I guess the bonding experience of staying up late and covering big events together. But it's definitely different doing it from home. But it was still fun to hang out on Slack with you guys and and get through the late nights and we'll do it again next week. Can't As a wait. reminder, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. Uh, we drink it all the time. It fuels the TPM virtual newsroom and you can order Grady's Cold Brew at Grady'sColdBrew.com and get 20% off your first order with the promo code TPM. Thanks for listening to the first week of the, the convention podcast and we will see you on, I guess, Tuesday after the first night of the RNC next week. Zoe, Summer, and Kate, thanks very much. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye.